Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Hello and welcome to this next episode of Presenting, Pitching and Public Speaking. And in today's episode, I have a really exciting guest. Some of you may know her from social media. She's been a huge, doing a huge amount of social media recently. Some of you may know her from the industries that she's worked in. So the lady I'm about to introduce to you is probably more humble than most people would be. So I'm going to big her up first of all. She is an expert in the travel industry and she has actually even been inducted into the Hall of Fame within the travel industry. So huge accolades within that area. She also won the Amiga Business Prize for Businesswoman of the Year. So she's really astute, got great business mind and was also recognized again within her industry of travel as one of the most influential women in travel. And that was recognized by the Association of Women Travel Executives. She is now all over Facebook, all over social media. She's mentoring, she's training, she's got multiple businesses. So it's my pleasure to introduce to you Jeanette Limcott. Jeanette, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me, Tony. So I'm going to do, as I do with every other interview, um, just make it really informal and have a little chat because you have a lot of experience in a number of areas that can help all of our listeners. So for those of the listeners who don't yet know you, just give us a bit of information around who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. So, well, I spent most of my career in travel, as you, as you, you alluded to, Tony. So 25 years in the travel industry. Um, Work for businesses that you'll know, Thomas Cook, Thompson, Tui, First Choice, uh, and kind of started from the bottom up, really, you know, and um, made my way to the point that I became CEO of the travel division for Saga. Um, but, you know, for re rewind before that, you know, I am just a, an average working class girl from Manchester, you know, I'm the youngest of three daughters. Um, I'm from Stretford, so for those of you that know Manchester, it's uh, not the most salubrious part of town. Um, but yeah, so I come from a very kind of normal family, if you like, and the only one to go to university out of my family at the time. And yeah, I had a great career in, in travel. Started off as an economist, actually, in Whitehall as my first proper job, which was kind of um, weird and scary all at the same time. <laughs> and since I left the travel industry, which was kind of a couple of, well, I've kind of left, I left the corporate CEO role a couple of years ago and made the decision that I really wanted to become, I guess, a more rounded businesswoman. So now, and I wanted to be my own boss. So I now have a portfolio of, of three different businesses. Property, which is kind of where we first met Tony. Yeah. Um, I have a mentoring business, so I help other people achieve their potential, which I absolutely love. Um, and then I also have a business where I advise boards, primarily on mergers and acquisitions. So if a a private equity house is looking to buy a business. I work with them on the deal um, and give them a bit of an insight in terms of is it a good business, how much should they pay, um, etc. So yeah, so I've kind of gone from that sort of you know fully on with a big CEO corporate role to having this much more entrepreneurial kind of portfolio now, which is cool. 
Absolutely. And I think there is a lot of experience within there that you can share with our listeners. And I always like to bring diverse people within our um, interviews for the simple fact that podcasters presenting, pitching and public speaking. And anyone who's listened previously knows that I'm always kind of flying the flag for the fact that public speaking isn't just standing on a stage and delivering. Um, so there's a lot in what you've said already that I'm going to pull things out of in, within the interview. Um, but about the presenting, the pitching and the public speaking within what you've done to get to where you were. So starting from kind of humble beginnings, youngest of three, three children, the only one to go to university at that time in your family, which led to you being an economist. Um, but you've, you've spent most of your, your career in travel. So at what point did you kind of, change tack or create that leap yeah i don't think it, you realize it at the time it's probably only with reflection actually looking back that you, you think oh gosh yeah you know really throughout my whole career i've been presenting and pitching but not necessarily being aware of it half the time and, and i think it's with reflection i mean you know when i look back when you when you have quite large teams and um, naturally people are looking to you for for leadership and you you know whether even if it's if you're doing a I don't know, a weekly team meeting or you're presenting a strategy to the board or, you know, there's just so many interactions through a normal average working week where you're either presenting or pitching or you're trying to, you know, in my case, I did a lot of mergers and acquisitions. So, you know, I bought a lot of businesses in God crazy parts of the world like Russia, China, India, you know, so through that whole process, you're actually presenting yourself as a credible business person but also representing the company in, in the, you know, if I take my time at TUI, where, you know, if you're back, if someone's going to sell you their business, you've got to be, make sure they're happy with you as an organization and you as a, as a person to do business with. So even if you're on the buying side, you're still presenting and selling yourself. And I think that's an interesting dimension. Um, but I remember that I remember the first big presentation I had to give. And at the time, so this would have been back in 2000, I'm trying to think now, actually, probably about 2000. So I was relatively green, but I'd been at, at Thompson for quite a few years back then, and I'd become general manager for long haul. And I got asked by the group managing director to present the long haul strategy to the leadership team. And there was probably 300 people in the room. It's like a big auditorium, mic'd up, light stage, all of that business. And I just, I was absolutely terrified. I, and, you know, so, I mean, I say this was like 20 years ago now, looking back. So, uh, you know, I, I would have been in my mid-20s then. Um, and I, I knew it was a big deal at the time, but probably only with reflection now do I think, God, it was even bigger deal than <laughs> I realised. And I remember just the whole lights, camera action, you know, and just having to go on stage. And of course, yeah, well, not of course, actually, I could have fallen flat on my face, but I did all right. But I was absolutely so scared. Um, and but I got through it, and it was just one of those: get on, get it done, get off. <laughs> yeah. I am sure that people listening can relate to that, and I love the fact that it's like, oh, well, it was two thousand, and it's the reflection that makes you realise just the how big a deal it was you know it wasn't just a small speak to a team of five people you're speaking to 300 people approximately in a, and, and to the leadership group so not as many of us will have done and i definitely did in my corporate career was um to train to mentor or to to deliver presentations to my employees you, you're 
you know, you present to those above you for their approval. So what would you say was the biggest lesson you learned from that very first speech? You said, you know, I, I kind of got through it. It was okay. Was the, and again, it's upon reflection because I'm sure at the time in your mid twenties, you think you can just take on the world and do anything. Um, but what would you say if you were to look back, if there was one key takeaway to take away from that speech? I think the big thing for me was preparation. Because I, I knew it was a big thing and I thought, you know, what's the, the saying? I mean, I'm a bit of a geek anyway, to be honest, Tony. So I, I will always prepare. I very rarely go and do anything without knowing my numbers or having done the prep. I'm just that girly swap. Yeah. Um, so I think the, <laughs> the preparation, I think, was, was definitely key because I think when there are things that are out of your control or you're not used to dealing with, like, you know, being mic'd up and how you walk on a stage and all of those things that we're working on now because you're helping me with all of those more technical skills. And um, I think if you don't know what your subject is inside out and you haven't done the preparation, it's going to make it a million times worse. Mm. So I think for me, having really put the thoughts in, you know, I, I probably at the time wrote out the full thing, knowing me. Um, and then I would have taken like little bullet points and put them on cards. And of course, I did the whole thing with no notes, which was, which was a big deal at the time and even more of a big deal. But had I not put the preparation in, I, I don't think I would have got through it the way that I did. Mm. And I think also the other thing is, and this comes a bit with age, I was probably so worried at the time about, are people judging and the way I speak and I'm not, not this posh accent and, you know, I'm still pretty young actually. And, and would I be seen as credible in that group of people? Which is all crazy because it's just the voice in your head telling you that stuff. But actually I think to be yourself is really important. So because like, you know, people buy people, people buy into people. And I think, you know, if you see someone presenting and they don't really bring much of their personality, to what they're saying, even if it's a serious topic, mm -hmm. you can still you can still approach it in a way that's engaging. You know, it's not to say that you're going to be on stage telling loads of jokes when you're presenting a business case for hundreds of millions of pounds. Clearly, yeah, but you have to be you have to be authentic in that. So yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot really that I learned. But I think the the one thing would be the preparation. You know. Fail to prepare, prepare to fail is probably something that I've always carried through my general life, really, in business life as well. And again, there's so much in just that one answer, and I'm going to kind of pull parts out of that and we'll, we'll dig into those. So preparation. Um, and what I love is that you have just kind of given an insight into the way that you prepare. And those who've listened to my previous episodes of presenting, pitching in public people, speaking the irony of that will know that um, that's very much how I used to deliver my speeches so I would take a piece of paper I would write it down and I'm really old school I'm sitting now with pencil and paper and I'm writing down notes on what you're saying to, to gauge the next questions um, and I did exactly that multicolored pens because you learn better in multicolors you, you retain the information from that then take the cue cards from that get to the point where you can deliver without the cue cards they're just there as a prompt and I think it's really interesting that you had the same approach that people can can listen to one person say it and think, well, that's just your way. But now hearing multiple people doing that, totally agree the preparation is absolutely key. And the fact that you have prepared so well meant that if there were any of the tech issues, which can and will happen, microphones, light and, uh, you know, PowerPoint presentation dies, whatever it might be, that you know your information well enough. You use the phrase knowing your, your subject inside out. 
and this is something I think is really, really important because you also said, you know, if it's a serious piece, and I, I mentioned this to every one of my mentees, as you know, because we're currently working on um, supporting you with your, your public speaking and getting out there more, um, is that it doesn't matter what your topic is. It doesn't matter what your topic is. It doesn't matter what your niche is that they will always be your field, your niche, your audience. And the better you know it, that you can make anything interesting in the way that you prepare it. So another point that you made there was to, to be yourself and to be authentic. And I think that's a testament to the fact that you're doing so well in everything that you're doing now and did so well in your career is that you've owned who you are. You know, you mentioned the, the fear of the judgment and every one of us gets that the fear of judgment are they judging what I look like what I sound like and as you're saying it I'm like yes yes I've got all of these things in my head so would you say for those listening now that you still have those fears you know the fear of judgment are you going to sound credible or would you say they've been allayed with your experience oh god no you still have them absolutely I just think you're more equipped to deal with it I think you become more self-aware as you get older, um, you know, so and you, I think over the years where I kind of got to is I understand where it comes from a little bit more now, you know, so, so I guess I, I, I talk quite openly about, you know, I've regularly suffered with imposter syndrome, I'm a good enough, do I fit in? You know, I remember when I, when I joined the government economic service straight out of uni, you know, 80% of people that were, uh, were economists in Whitehall came from Oxford or Cambridge. You know, I went to Leeds, you know, and yes, I got a first class honours degree and I was really proud of that, but I still had in my head, I don't fit in here. Yeah. I with my Northern accent and my degree was as good as everyone else and I was good as the, I, I deserve to be there. But, you know, I had that thing in my head around, oh gosh, you know, everyone's, I don't fit in. They're all much cleverer than me. They come from really, um, you know, uh, uh, posh backgrounds and etc. You know, my dad was a plumber and my mum my was a secretary and, you know, we had a great family background, but nonetheless, it was what it was. So that, it takes quite a long time, I think, to understand where some of this stuff comes from. And mm -hmm. I think for me, once you get that, when that little voice in your head or that gremlin, and I talk about this a lot with my mentees, actually, when that starts to kick in, I think if you can just sort of observe it, take a deep breath, a pause or whatever, and then go acknowledge it, say, oh, I know what's going on here. I am now going to consciously choose a different reaction from what my ingrained gut is telling me sometimes and choose to respond in a different way. I think that's quite helpful. But it doesn't ever, I don't think it ever fully goes away. It probably becomes less frequent but it's still kind of there because it's, it, it's quite entrenched, those sort of things, aren't they? Imposter syndrome or lack of self-belief. Um, I think you just get a bit wiser at knowing it's happening and then sort of telling it to shut up. Mm. No, you are good enough. You have a little conversation with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think everyone can relate to that. And I was actually going to ask you when you got to that point, what's your top tip? And I think you've given it there, the fact that you have to acknowledge it. <laughs> I think so often people will try and tell the little voice in the head, you know, try and bat it away, but actually you have to acknowledge it. This is how I'm feeling and understanding the reasons why you feel the imposter syndrome, the fear, the, the judgment, the I'm not good enough, all of those things. And I also think someone, you know, who's achieved so much in the career that, as you have, I think it's great for our listeners to hear that you still experience that and it's normal and that actually it's a, 
a system or a process that you put in place to manage that, to acknowledge it, and to you use the phrase to consciously choose to overcome it or to quieten down that voice. So I think you've given a top tip there already. Absolutely love that. So moving on in your career, um, you've got some massive accolades in there, you know, becoming the CEO of the travel division for Saga. Most people will have heard of it, of Saga. It's a huge company, four businesses, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds of turnover. How would you say you've had to adapt and use either your selling skills to sell yourself as the, the right person for those jobs to climb a career ladder um, or your presentation skills of how to present both yourself and um, your business ideas? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you get to a certain point where, where almost your credentials come from what partly what you've achieved. So I always think if you if you deliver what you say you're going to deliver and you've got great examples of where you've, you know, you've achieved stuff through, through your life, that, that kind of backs you up. You know, you have a, almost have a credible CV behind you, which is quite nice. When you're starting out, of course, you don't always have that. So I think you, you're much more using your persuasion skills probably, you know, because you haven't got the, you know, the accolades and the achievements behind you. So it depends what stage you're at in your career. But I think for me, because I, you know, I've, I've always done what I said I'm going to do. You know, I, I believe I've got really one of my core values is around integrity and, and kind of treat people in the right way. And if you say you're going to do something, then do it. Or if you can't, you go back to someone. So I think for me, in terms of selling myself, it's, it's partly been through proof of delivery, if you like. Um, but also, I think just trying to put yourself in the other person's shoes that you're in front of is really quite helpful because you might be pitching something or, or going for a promotion or, or whatever it is, or, or maybe you're buying a business or selling a business, you know, there's, there's multitude of examples. I think it's, it's good not just to always be thinking it from your own perspective. And I think if you can put yourself in the, in the other person's shoes, so for example, if I was presenting um, uh, an acquisition, you know, and, and some of the deals I was doing, there was one in particular in Brazil that was 600 million quiz. This is when I was at, when I was at TUI. That's a massive commitment for the group CEO to back me to, to buy that business. So, of course, I've got my own objectives and I think it's the right thing to do. And I've made the business case and I've spent you know, months with my team working on this, getting it into a good shape. But think about how that other person is thinking. They've got other competing projects or other investment cases they've got to consider. So how do you put yourself in their mind so that then you can present the case in a way that's not only compelling because what you truly believe, but also that you understand some of the blockers that they're going through. So almost how do you pick off those objections in the way you present yourself? I mean, this is kind of one of the things that we, we, you teach us as well, Tony, isn't it? You know, it's almost the what if. Yeah. And I think that is that's a really a really useful way to, to come across in a more credible way, because sometimes you're going to get knockbacks, aren't you? And that can really piss you off. You think, oh, bloody hell, but it's a great it's a great case or I'm really good for this job and you don't get it. Or maybe you weren't thinking about the other person as enough. I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. Again, tons within that one answer. So selling and persuasion you talk about there. Um, yes, it is about selling your skills, your accolades, and you've got tons within your career. But when you're very first starting out and you haven't got those achievements to kind of back you up and to pedestalize you, 
Um, something that I'm going to touch upon there is the transferable skills. So, again, one of the most common questions we get from mentees, from people who want to learn presentations or public speaking, or if they want to learn to mentor people, it's like, well, why would anyone listen to me? And so often it's not just the success in that line of business. It's, you know, the fact that you are the only one to have gone to university out of your family at that point in time. The fact that someone from humble beginnings who wasn't, you know, an Oxford or a Cambridge student, but still managed to get a first class honours degree through hard work, great determination and the preparation, putting yourself out there, um, to then become an economist and be surrounded by people and know that you are worthy. So all of these transferable skills are so often brushed under the carpet and we kind of say, oh, well, I've just done this or I've only done that. And it's looking at how we can pedestalize those to lift you up. Um, another point that you've made, which I'm, I'm going to expand upon in the next question, is you talk about putting yourself in the other person's shoes. You know, I know I'm right for this job. I know buying this part of the business but a huge commitment of 600 million pounds you know it's not small fry i know it's right now i know the benefits to me but how can it help you and there's two things around that one you've mentioned putting yourself in their shoes and this is something i've touched upon in many previous episodes around creating connections between you and your audience whoever that may be one-on-one or one to a group in your presentations and building those relationships but ultimately around service and I think you've elegantly touched upon that without actually putting the meat on the bones, if you like. Mm-hmm. You're talking about, well, how do I get to their answer or, again, service and overcome an objection. So if we look at those two, um, I know because we've spoken previously that you talk about integrity being something that's really important to you, but that you're really good at putting yourself in the other person's shoes. How important would you say being uh, of services to achieve an end result? Oh, oh, massive. It's everything, isn't it, really? And uh, for me, I think, um, and this is, this is an interesting aspect that I've only really thought about probably over the last kind of year or so in terms of selling is serving. And, and actually, you know, I think the perception of selling something, it, it has a sort of connotation of, you know, used car salesperson or timeshare or, you know, it's got quite a lot of negative connotations around this idea of selling, I think. Whereas actually, if you flip it on its head and you go, well, no, actually, I really believe in the products or service that I'm offering. It would almost be a crime for me not to sell it to you in a, in a way that's congruent with my values and that I think can make a massive difference to you. That feels very different. Yeah. Um, and if you're the kind of person that has a bit of a blocker of, I mean, selling, and I, I haven't loved selling in the past, you know, to being, being really honest, that's not been a core skill of mine. I've had to really work at it. But I think if you do think of it in that way, it, it definitely changes the, the kind of dynamics. Um, and yeah, I mean, if something's not right for the other person, well, then I, you shouldn't push it you know, necessarily, you know, because if, you, if you're trying to sell something to someone that they, you know deep down in your heart they do not need, it's not right for them, you can't afford it, you know, I just think, I think it's around trying to understand the benefits for them, pull them out and actually really show them what it can make for change for their life or their business. And then it doesn't feel like selling and it isn't selling. You're actually doing a service for that other person. It's a very different different approach to it, which I think is much more comfortable probably for more people if they think of it in that way. 
Absolutely. And everything you're saying, like anyone who's listened to my previous episodes will know that there are so many things in what you've just said. I used the, the analogy of the, you know, the car salesman or the timeshare salesperson where people think it's really pushy. You've got to have this selling is serving. And actually if you've got a product or a service or you've got, you know, some information that is so useful to so many people, but they just don't know about it, that you are genuinely doing them a disservice. I love the fact that you use the phrase, you know, it's a crime, not to. It absolutely is. And I think that all comes down to perspective. And I think when you're comfortable with the idea of selling whatever format that's in, whether it's presenting yourself for a job interview, you know, asking someone on a date, whatever it is, but the perspective around it, you know, no one's ever died because they sold. No one, what's the worst that can happen if you're offering something to somebody and they go, no, it's not for me, thank you, but no, thank you. But what I think also you touched upon is it comes back to the integrity. You know, you say, if you know, hand on heart, that your product or service is not going to benefit the person, they can't afford it, it's not the right time for them, that you are only a true speaker salesperson when you have the ability to say it's not right for you and walk away. And I think sometimes there's a, a little bit of a, people are sat on the cusp because they're not sure. And this mm. comes back to the objection overcoming where you said sometimes it's about, you know, everyone listening, every single person who's listening to this podcast will have bought a product or service at some point. And if someone has, you know, been to buy a new car and the second you've stepped on the forecourt, you've been ambushed, you should buy this car, come and buy this, that actually your, your barriers come up automatically and it's like, I don't want to buy from you. Because it's the pushy sales, selling, selling aspect. But if you go along, and I had this exact example when I bought my most recent car. I went for a look. Myself, my husband, Chris, two boys, went for a look. We looked, walked down to the forecourt, immediately saw someone coming towards me, and I thought, here we go. Hiya, this is me. Um, have a little look around. If you need anything, give me a shout. And that was just it, the fact that it was service. It was how can I help you? It changed the whole perspective. And I think the fact that you've done that within your businesses, done that within your career to get those promotions, to provide a good case to, or an argument for it, but then also to be you know, realistic in terms of knowing what's right for them. I think that's absolutely awesome. And I think that's why you've been so highly recognized within your, um, within your field. So coming off the back of that, um, I know because we were speaking just before we started recording the podcast around, I asked you the question, have you ever had in your career any formal presentation or selling training? Tell our listeners about that and if not... Yeah. Not, not massively, ironically, you know, I think it's, it's, in, it's interesting because when you're, when you're in the corporate world, or any business to be fair, you, know, you, tend to get, you tend to get promoted because you're doing a job, whatever that job is, and it's, it's not always so common to then say, well, hang on a minute, you know, not everyone's a natural born leader, you know, leaders, leaders are often, you know, made not born. And, and I think sometimes you don't have that formal training. You know, I mean, I'm a great example where, you know, I've done loads of presentations. I've done loads of public speaking for years, but I've never formally been trained. And that's why I could see in myself, I would really benefit from being able to work with, you know, with yourself and, and with, with Robert and going on the kind of expert speaker revolution and now being part of the academy. You know, I think if you're the kind of person that has a lifelong desire to improve, and get better at what, even if you're at top of your game, we can always 
do more, can't we? We can always be better or be more comfortable or find a new approach to something. And so I really believe in, in, in education anyway, but also to be able to say, well, you know, someone might say to me, well, why, why are you doing a presentation skills course? You've done loads of presentations. Well, you don't need that, do you? And, but I, I know that I can be better, you know, and I'm not, I'm far from perfect. You know, and I think sometimes you just, it's good to be able to acknowledge that you might be all right, but could be better. Yes, I could be better. So why not invest in those skills and those techniques? And you're going to meet a whole bunch of interesting people like you, <laughs> um, you know, that seriously, you would never have got the chance to, to do. And, and I think it's just a really refreshing environment where you, you really get to sit and see people and be part of people's lives and journeys through their own exploration of all of this um, and that in itself is just wonderful I think so yeah having the formal training backed up with experience and the opportunity to kind of practice and be out there and to think of things in slightly different ways than maybe had before is, 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 is a life skill um, and it doesn't matter if you're not formally stood on a stage presenting or you're not in a classic kind of sales role because if we, when you actually put it strip it back you're always presenting, you're always selling, you know, even, even with, you know, even with friends, yeah. you know, people choose who they spend time with, you know, and it's not that you're going, oh, be my friend, you know, but <laughs> inadvertently you kind of are, aren't you? You know, and I think if you can think of it that way, then you just think, my God, this actually isn't about presenting and skilling. It's much, uh, and selling, uh, it's much more than that. These yeah. are life skills skills um, so for me yeah that, that's been a real a real you know key part of me continuing to develop I'm loving it and we're loving having you be a part of it and I think that's probably answered a question for some people as well because there will definitely be people who listen who've maybe done presentation skills maybe been in the corporate world or within their own businesses they've done their own marketing they've done their own selling and thinking do I really need to learn as a skill set and I think what we teach is more a system and a process and this comes back to earlier on where you said about your bringing just being you bringing your personality out there so if we've got people listening who maybe have that imposter syndrome have those little you know niggling doubts in their head who are thinking oh well can i really do it should i do it what advice would you give to someone who is maybe quite new to presenting or quite new to selling or public speaking in terms of the best top tips to to help them on the way. Yeah, I mean, well, I think the first thing is you absolutely can do it because anyone can do it. You've just got to believe it yourself. Um, so there's a bit of a sort of hurdle to get over in your own head. But sometimes we just talk ourselves out of things, don't we? You know, we put all these excuse well, the reasons, which actually, if you're honest, are excuses. Um, so I think, you know, first is just take, just take that first step. And even if it's scary, You've taken the step and then the next step will be a bit easier. So I think that the first thing, you know, be, be a bit brave um, and, and just really put yourself out there. I think that the second thing is um, you never know where it's going to lead either. So, so what you think you're starting off on a journey of learning a new skill, getting trained, uh, present, presenting, selling, whatever it might be. You just don't know where that's going to lead and how it's going to equip you for other opportunities. Because I think, you know, what you're actually doing is you're raising the standard. You know, if you listen to anyone like Tony Robbins or something like that, you know, he, he talks a lot about what standards you set yourself is what you will achieve. 
So if you set or if you tell yourself, oh, no, I'm not a presenter. I can't do that. It's not my bag. I don't need it. Well, then you're going to get all of those things. You're not a presenter then. But if you say to yourself, no, actually, I am a presenter. I'm going to become a really great presenter. You've already set your bar higher. And because you've done that, you will, you know, you'll live up to that if you keep on track with the learning. And, and I think the other thing is around the people you spend time with, you know, and your network. We talk a lot about this, don't we? That it's important that you're with like-minded people that are going to lift you up, encourage you, but they're also going to give you an honest view and, and constructive feedback. And that's very much what you and Robert do. You know, it's, you're not there to blow smoke up people's artists really you're there to make help them become better <laughs> sorry it's a bit crude but you know <laughs> I think having strong people around you that will and this is a bit like you know the whole mentoring side of things people that are going to give you encouragement and a cuddle but a kick up the backside when you need it as well and call you out if you're really sort of kidding yourself I think that's really valuable as well so with all of this it's not just around taking a deep breath and getting started signing up to something and, and put the work in. You've got to put the work in. No one's going to do it for you. But also make sure you're, you're spending time with the right people that are going to really support and encourage you, but, but also not, not take, listen to any of your bullshit, really, and, and help you get where you want to get to. So much in there. So if I was to summarize that in three, three points that I think our listeners can take away, it is to set your bar high. Get rid of the negative self-talk. You know, if you talk, we, we can very easily talk ourselves out of things. You can't do it. You shouldn't do it. Sometimes that's ourselves. Sometimes that's the people around us. So set your bar high. And that links on to the next point, which I think is having strong people around you. And I think not just necessarily strong people, but strong people who are <clears throat> like-minded and giving you the encouragement that you need. Because if you are the person who's got the negative self-talk, and you surround yourself with people who are going, yeah, you're right, you shouldn't do that, you can't do it, it's not achievable, just compounds over time. So those people who will say, no, you can't do that until you've done X, Y, or Z, or how can we get you to do that, that's imperative. So that would be summary number two. And I think summary number three being that you've got to put the work in. And I think you epitomise that in everything that you've done. You know, it's not been easy for you to get to where you have done, but it's testament to the, the continual work on your own self-belief and improving your own skill set, but putting the work in to get to where you want to. And I think um, you will be an inspiration for the people listening to us. So I'm conscious of time, but I do have some quick fire questions. Are you up for some quick fire questions? Absolutely, do it, do it. Okay, <laughs> best piece of, uh, sorry, best speech presentation or sale you've ever done oh gosh um remember these are quick fire questions <laughs> okay okay the pitch to buy three businesses in russia expand upon that three, pitch to buy three businesses in russia travel in russia, in russia. Yeah. okay so best speech okay on the flip side worst speech or worst sale or presentation Oh, um, worst presentation, I think, was when I was, I was at um, Saga and I was presenting a strategy and I had um, a really disruptive kind of um, terrorist in the audience that just kept interrupting me, firing lots of really aggressive questions. And uh, yeah, I found that really hard. And I probably, I, I had a bit of a wobble. Obviously. Okay. How would you deal with that now? I think that's a lesson for our listeners. Yeah, I think now I would, I would, I would really 
calm down in the inner panic and the red, you know, getting hot and all of that, try and really just take a deep breath and then calmly um, answer the question. And then I think if that continued, that disruptive behaviour as it did, I would probably say, listen, you know, I really appreciate your points. Why don't we have a conversation um, separately about this? I'd probably try and diffuse it in, in that way, I think. And I think hindsight and, you know, a skill set and some skills, and this is something we teach at Expert Speaking Revolution. I've touched upon it in podcast episodes about how to elegantly diffuse the situation and the fact that even though it wasn't necessarily your best speech or maybe it didn't get the end result that you were looking for, that you've learned from it, so you're always learning and it's not put you off. Um, So, yeah, great answer to that one. Um, Who inspires you? Oh, loads of people inspire me, I, but I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say two people. I'm going to say my mum because she's an incredible entrepreneur. She's 83, my mum, and she's she's always kind of been a bit a bit out of the box, a bit kind of out there, a bit of a maverick, you know. And then yeah, she's she's this very short, white-haired old lady, and everyone just thinks, oh, you know, she's a typical grandma. Oh my God, she is full of fire and brimstone and she has always encouraged me to, you know, fulfill my dreams. So yeah, my mum is my, yeah, real big inspiration. I absolutely love that. So one final piece of advice then, if you were to give one piece of advice around anything to do with presenting, pitching or public speaking to our listeners, what would you like them to, to know? I would just definitely say be brave and and just you know make a start get yourself out there um because the worst is is probably never going to happen but you've got everything to gain really and nothing to lose so put yourself out there and that's something that you are epitomizing right now um if people haven't seen you on any kind of social media format or if they don't yet know you know who you are other than what they've heard in this podcast where can people get hold of you if they want to um, learn about your life skills, look at your mentoring? How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm on, I'm on Facebook, Jeanette Linfoot, and LinkedIn, same. I've got a website as well, Jeanette Linfoot Associates, which kind of covers all the three different businesses that I do. Um, so yeah, they're probably the obvious places to get hold of me. Okay. And from my perspective, it's been an absolute honour. I think there's absolutely tons in there. And I think there's probably another podcast episode in this at some point because we've only just touched upon certain questions in there. Um, But I want to say a huge thank you for uh, giving up your time today to be a part of this and for all of the insights into today's episode. 